Hello podcast friends and family and welcome back to another episode of the Back Pain and Injury Podcast. I'm delighted to welcome to the show today Dr. Sophie Newton, who's a GP from Halifax in the UK and we're talking today all about the medications that are used for pain. So in a whirlwind tour of what is a very complex topic, we talk about medications that you can get over the counter right up to opiates and other medications that have to be prescribed by the GP. We talk about how they work, what they're used for, why they're prescribed in different instances and why some might be prescribed over others. Some things have fallen out of favour but still might be prescribed and some things are prescribed a little bit more regularly. As always, please take this not as medical advice and seek a medical professional if you have any concerns about any medication. Please don't start taking medications just because you hear it in the podcast. Seek professional advice. So that's it from me. I'll leave you to sit back and enjoy this fantastic episode with Dr. Sophie Newton. Welcome to the Back Pain Podcast with Rob and Dave, the only show geared specifically to help educate you about your back pain. We talk to the experts to bust the myths, break down the science, and give you all the top tips for living pain free. So, if you're driving to work, tied in the house, or even laid up at home in pain, we have something for everyone. And we are live. Welcome back, everyone, to the Back Pain Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Sophie Newton. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. So we're going to jump straight into it. Why or what is the GP's role in managing pain or managing? Let's, let's start with back pain. What is the GP's role in, in managing back pain? Well, it, our role has evolved, actually, as we've got more people among the team who can help us. Um, so I think first things first, the key thing we have to do is have some vague idea because then we've got some different routes. If we are concerned that it might be serious, then we also have to work out how serious is this. So all, we have to be incredibly quickly thinking about, is this something that needs a &E? Is this something that needs to be seen by a GP today? Is this something that can be dealt with in the next few weeks? Or does it need a physio appointment, can we refer for outpatient physio? Or now we have what's called FCPs, which is the first contact videos, physios, who are absolutely brilliant. Um, so we've kind of got lots of options. So the first thing we have to do is have a have a look, have a, have a possibly have a read if it's an e-consult, if we're speaking to them, really quickly get down to the nitty gritty of what it potentially might be and go from there. So that's what you guys, uh, you know, as we we're chatting earlier, are fantastic at is recognizing within seconds because I don't know how long you have for an appointment, but you know it's it's not fast. I have the luxury; I have an hour to assess and talk and explain and talk to a patient. Whereas, you know, how long do you have? Five, ten, fifteen minutes? Well, even like less that? because, like for example, today I have been duty docked this morning, so we can't have an appointment for everyone straight away. You can't get so normally it's a ten minute appointment, but not everyone can even get a ten minute appointment. So I might have dealt with fifty patients this morning. And so yeah. I am triaging as I am going through. So for me, it's probably more like two minutes of deciding. So that person won't have been dealt with completely, but I have triaged them and mm. sorted them out to a, to a degree. And maybe then they'll yeah. get a 10-minute appointment. Yeah. And then you then obviously, as you said, triage and send people in the directions that they, they kind of need to, need to go. Yes. Yes. So one question we get a lot is that, is it true that GPs can't refer for MRI scans? Well, I know it depends on the local area. So where I work, we can refer for scans. However, um, I certainly don't. And I think it's, I think it's almost a practice from previous kind of the older GPs who used to do lots of scans um, 
and kind of didn't, I think we understand a bit more now about back pain and where back pain comes from and also how limit how limiting scans can be. So I I really I think probably never order a, a scan for, for back pain. Um, that doesn't mean people don't ever need scans, but I think it means that by that point they're further down the line under a musculoskeletal specialist who has decided that is the right thing to do to look for potentially some sinister pathology or um, something that might need further treatment. So we can order scans. Or sometimes when I'm dealing with someone else's scan, if like another GP has ordered it and a scan comes back, I think, oh, no, now I've got to, <laughs> <laughs> now I've got to manage this. And really, it sounds awfully scary uh, to the patient, all these big words, uh, you know, deterioration, degeneration and um and so then it's up to explain to the patient, although this sounds abnormal, you know, you're 63. These are just like wrinkles on your face, mm. you know. So um, I personally, I avoid and I think GPs should probably avoid MRI scans. If I think mm. they need an urgent scan, again, that's not going to be me that's ordering it. That's going to be A&E. Fab. And I, I love that you said that because that's something that we've spoken to a lot on this podcast and I have an, an adage which uh, I've spoken a, a few times so th- forgive the people who are listening who have heard this a lot is I had a patient once who uh, came to see me and she had stepped off a curb and got some back pain and she saw her GP um, and as listeners may know that is quite a common reason that especially in the elderly we can get a get a compression fracture so her GP had very you know very rightly sent her for, for a low back x-ray and uh, she came back a few days later, went back to the GP, couldn't get an appointment, but got her image results printed off by the reception who gave her the copy of the scan. Um, and then she came and saw me uh, and I said, you know, why are you here today? And she said, oh, well, I stepped off a curb and it gave me spinal arthritis, which is what's written on the scan. She'd never had back pain before. She'd only had oh. back pain for two weeks and she was 83 or something like that. And she thought that, you know, just by reading the scan results, which said severe degenerative change, spinal arthritis, whatever the word was used, she thought that stepping off the curb had given her that. So exactly referring to the people who then have the time to explain these results. And it's not the scan that's the problem, but it's that explanation of these big scary words that can be a problem so i'm really glad you were you, you yeah. alluded to that yeah, because we're exactly it's not on the same pa- page yeah. yeah it's not a pain scan it can be abnormal and you might be fine it can be normal and you might have pain so Fantastic. it's limited use yeah Diagno- diagnosing pain on an mri is like looking at a wedding photo and deciding who the drunkest person is and i think that's a really good <laughs> really good analogy <laughs> Okay, I like that. <laughs> you can use that one. Yeah, feel free to use that one. That's not me. That's actually David Poulter. Um, so I've stolen that from him. So if he's listening, thanks for it. thanks for sharing. Um, another questions or questions that we get asked a lot, and this is primarily the reason why why I wanted to wanted to get you on is because you speak about this stuff so well. Is the medications now? Most people expect when they go to see their GP for pain, you know, musculoskeletal, musculoskeletal pain, will be expecting to be prescribed some sort of medication. Now there is a, a wealth of medication out there for pain, and obviously. We can't touch on every single medication. And I'm going to give heavy caveats that what you're going about to talk about, you know, what is appropriate for one person definitely won't be appropriate for another person. So always talk to your healthcare professional before attempting to take or um, taking any, any medication which you're not sure about. So please seek expert advice before taking anything. And I'm sure Sophie would agree with me when she, uh, <laughs> uh, when she comes on in a minute. But let's start with what I'd like to do is talk about kind of the first instance for pain, kind of the over-counter, over-the-counter pain medication that people might get. What are those and what do they do? Uh, yeah, so the first thing I do say actually is you need to go to the pharmacy because I think a lot of people kind of immediately almost come to us straight away and they haven't 
because the pharmacists themselves can advise and they know what's you know what they could speak to you about what medications you're on so it's not just a case of having to buy it from the supermarket and you not knowing you can still the first part of call would be to go and speak to the pharmacist who can advise um so yeah so most people by the time they have got to me will have already tried probably paracetamol and if they can ibuprofen and potentially ibuprofen gel or a volterol gel um and for a lot of people that that should be enough often they're not taking it to the maximum dose. So they're kind of waiting for the pain to come on and then taking well. They might say, yeah, I've, t- I've taken, I took an ibuprofen yesterday and one today and it's still no better. So first things first, are you taking it appropriately at the right dose at the right time? Don't wait for the pain to come. If you know that you've been in pain, just, just take it. Um, so that would be the kind of the first level. So we, we always talk about what's called the analgesic ladder. So we kind of step up, step up, step up. Have you tried this and you've still got pain? We'll go to the next one. Um, Although when we're talking about pain, I guess what we're talking about now is what we call acute pain. So something that's been potentially caused by an injury, like a sprain or um, something that's short term. Um, often then, if they come to me, then we might go for naproxen, which is like ibuprofen. So that is an anti anti-inflammatory so it works by working on some enzymes which are called the cox enzymes which create something called prostaglandin it's the prostaglandins that cause the pain so the so an anti-inflammatory like ibuprofen or naproxen works by by dampening down the inflammation and and they can help with with the fevers as well um paracetamol isn't so good for a lot certainly for back pain and arthritic arthritic pain it doesn't tend to work so well um but it's but most people can take paracetamol, whereas ibuprofen and other anti-inflammatories. There's quite a lot of people who can't use it, so it, that is definitely something to make sure when you're taking it. Um, for example, um, as, asthma is a big one, so that limits us somewhat. Um, there's certain times in pregnancy it's not a good idea either. There's, there's if you've ever had kind of a gastric ulcer or a bleed. There's so there's quite a few things that that do make it a bit more tricky for anyone who wants to have an anti-inflammatory but cannot. Um, so then we would move on to probably then the kind of uh, the milder opioids. So that would be something mm. like codeine and we often give it with cocodamol, which is paracetamol and codeine. And you can get over-the-counter cocodamol. So that's, we would recommend that still first of all, um, again, because the smallest dose is the safest dose that is effective mm. for that person. Um, so if they can manage with comes in various doses um but if they need to then we can give a hopefully a short course of the higher strength cocodamol um if if they've kind of tried everything else and that's usually where Mm. we get to and they so that's an opiate so they work on opioid receptors which are kind of Mm. which trigger that pain response um is that different to the to how the paracetamol works as well because obviously it's just it's a stronger stronger painkiller for that acute pain do they work on different you know different parts of the body effectively yeah do you know i i I was looking into this and people don't quite know how paracetamol works it does work on the central nervous system uh and it works on on the fever which is why it brings for children it's very good at bringing down temperatures it works on the thermal regulation as well um so yes it, it, it is different and tramadol is an opiate but also works slightly different to a lot of the other opiates like mm. codeine and morphine um but they can be very effective medications but they also have a lots of side effects um and so I think it's really important that anyone who's started on a short course knows about these side effects. For example, drowsiness is a big one. So if they've got to be careful driving, 
Um, if they're an older person, especially elderly people, you know, possible increased risk of falls. Um, and then if someone falls and breaks their hip, that's, you know, you've set them off on a completely different path. Um, mm. And constipation, which sounds like a small thing, but actually if someone's taking codeine for days after days, they can get quite significant constipation, which can almost, but then be much more painful than the back pain they started with. Yeah. Um, so I think it is it often. And then I can't tell you how often patients say to me when I explain this to them uh, and they go, Oh, well just give me the one that doesn't have those side effects. <laughs> and I say, Oh my gosh, I'd be so rich. I'd be so rich if I could yeah. come up with this um, so medication. This magic wonder your... pill that just gets yeah. rid of pain with no side effects. And I'm oh, amused by the fact that they think I picked the one with side effects. Because I mean, yeah, that's, that's, and that that's a good one talking about the opiates as well, is because the you know the the nice guidelines recently, and we spoke to one of the editors or one of the the um, authors of those nice guidelines talking about the not recommending opiates in the first stage. So as yeah. you said, you know, working your way up the ladder. So when someone comes to see you with an acute pain for the first time, we don't start them straight away on morphine um, or tramadol or those the much stronger drugs with, hot, with, with nasty side effects in the first instance. And I think that's the key that a lot of people were worried about is the Daily Mail says, NICE no longer recommends opiates. And the people who were then using opiates, you know, controlled in a safe manner were then panicking thinking they're going to be taken off me and that's not at all what they were saying it was just saying you know you'll know if i'm correct on this is that it was just saying not in the first instance we don't really want to be giving people tramadol you know for the first medication and then i think what i am better at now having done much more research into pain um, and chronic pain is if I do give someone a short course of codeine, explaining to them the potential risks of if they ended up using it. So I would say this is up to up, you know, up to three months really. If it goes beyond three months, then it's it, things change a little bit. So then we worry a bit more about the risks of dependency, um, and actually that the the effects themselves often become they could become less helpful so become less Mm. effective and people kind of become desperate and start taking more and more because they're wanting it to be helpful and then you get more side effects so we know for a more chronic pain after three months um then it's not ideal certainly and Mm. we try certainly not to put put um things like codeine or tramadol on repeat prescription so that they just have to ask it and we can assess it every time um, mm. And again, people get frustrated at that sometimes, but that's when it needs to just a bit of explanation. It doesn't mean you can't have it. It just means we just always want to make sure you understand the risks and we're always assessing the risk benefits. Um, mm. And that is different that makes sense. for different people. Does How common is the dependency? You know, if you're, you have people who are on it for a longer time, you know, is that, you know, are they very likely to get addicted? Is this just something which happens in a very few percentage of people? How common is this? It's hard to know because a lot of people almost are dependent on it because they're desperate. So a lot of people will say to me who struggle with chronic pain, right, that that cocodamol is useless. It's not doing anything for my pain. And I say, right, right, well, in which case, let's make a plan to come off it. And they go, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) I can't, because it's their crutch and they can't imagine not having it. So it's quite difficult to know what's a physical kind of, addiction it's not quite an addiction same sense as we normally think it but a dependency versus kind of the placebo effect of needing something and the desperation of the pain being so severe that they need something mm-hmm. um so that is often a things to unpick with them their understanding of what that medication is going to do what they're hoping it's achieving um and what might happen if we do try and stop it 
absolutely. And that's the understanding of what it does as well as the key. And this is why episodes like this are good because then we can show people the reasoning behind why you're why you're doing something. So generally, that kind of week to week or kind of a few weeks to a few weeks is the way you'll prescribe these opiates. So then you can monitor, make sure we're not we're being censored about how we're taking yeah. them, basically. Sometimes if someone says, oh, well, it really only bothers me at night, my wrist pain. Um, so I just take one codeine at night. And I think, well, that's very unlikely to be causing yeah. much problem and it helps them sleep. And so therefore, mm. the so I'd be happy for them to keep taking it. If it's one tablet a yeah. night. So again, it's just, right. it, it, it's not one size fits all. Yeah. What it's about muscle relaxants? Um, yeah. What about kind of muscle relaxants, diazepam and things like that? Are they ever prescribed for, for acute pain? Yeah, so often, well, certainly in the past, absolutely. If someone has back pain and it sounds like they've got back spasms, so they kind of say, you know, I, I tried to lift this heavy box and then it, I felt something pop or I felt it and then I couldn't move. I just couldn't move. And now I can't, I can't even get off the bed. I can't do anything because what we know is people need to become active in order to help the back repair. So we do need to give enough pain relief for people to be able to get moving. And certainly in the past, the fastest way to do that was to give some diazepam usually. But now that now the nice guidance so that the who we get our guidance from um national institute for health and care care and health, um have care and excellence care and excellence care thank and you e yeah. Yeah, clinical excellence. No, yeah. yeah health and care excellence um have suggested we should not be giving anything these kind of so-called benzodiazepines um but i but i think it still happens uh i think if it's a tiny dose just on a one-off it, it's unlikely yeah. to cause and it does it does help people uh, the other yeah. option would be something like um it's called Reboxin Methocarbamol, which is another muscle relaxant, um, which also tends to work quite well. And that's probably a little bit safer than diazepam. That's good to know. Because often I've seen that patients who have been prescribed that in A&E just as a, as a one-off injection, an injection of diazepam, you know, with that really acute lying on the floor, can't move, quick yeah. injection in the bum, or, or a diclofenac suppository is the other one that, that people will often get in A&E. And uh, that can, <laughs> I have a friend who's an A&E doctor who said that really sorts out people that have back pain compared to people that don't, if they say, oh, I'm just going to put this up your bum, you know, that will uh, really help with the pain. The ones that are in a lot of pain don't mind at all. The ones that's who are kind of thinking, oh, actually, I worked in a &E. <laughs> that's absolutely right. Yeah. Fantastic. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> that's so true. Um, yeah. And then I guess there's also the medication that we might think about would be sometimes antidepressants, which people, we are something like amitriptyline, which actually we hmm. don't use as an antidepressant anymore, but is traditionally an antidepressant. Um, oh, really? Not used at all as an antidepressant anymore? No, because the doses. So, for example, we might start on 10 milligrams of someone who's got pain, but you'd start on 75 milligrams as an antidepressant, and at that dose, the side effect profile. So it's just not going to be uh, effective uh, with uh, the side effect profile. Um, but it, they can be useful um, in pain. And, well, antidepressants, and, the, and actually for chronic pain, antidepressants are are recommended now um, because they work on neurotransmitters in the brain like serotonin, noradrenaline, which not only help with mood and emotion, they, they work on pain as well. Um, and actually, if also, if you're suffering with chronic pain, then probably you have got low mood issues because of, hmm. you know, it's affecting your quality of life. Of the pain. Yeah. Um, so they can be effective. And amitriptyline is a good one if people are struggling with sleeping because it makes you drowsy. It's not so good if then you've got to get up in the morning and be a forklift driver um or a surgeon and yeah. you're tired and for elderly people mm. it's again it's if you're so over 65 it's not recommended um yeah and it can cause constipation and dry mouth um so okay. 
again, it's one of those ones that comes with side effects, unfortunately. Yeah. But it and can crazy be dreams. Crazy dreams. A few of them have, a few of these do have problems with crazy dreams. Yeah. The antidepressants yeah. and weight gain and sexual dysfunction, a lot of not mm. fun side effects. No, uh, okay. So these, the kind of, I'll often, as you said, recommend a patient talk to the GP about these when they're struggling sleeping and especially when they have a lot of nerve pain so that kind of neuropathic pain that acute sciatica often that's really bad at three o'clock in the morning so I mean am I right in saying that go to talk to GP for something like amitriptyline or gabapentin are those is that the right way to yeah so they are they those that you're mentioning are exactly that we we use more for that nerve pain um so if someone says like it's a burning electric shock feeling it's a tingling feeling it sounds more like it's the nerves that are being affected. Um, although interestingly, for sciatica, um, NICE no longer recommends gabapentin. Um, it almost recommends nothing, which is somewhat less useful. It says don't use don't use ibuprofen or don't use opiates. Yeah. Um, so we're kind of left a bit like, well, so, you know, it isn't quite realistic that people don't need, you know, some sort of pain relief. So yeah, amitriptyline and or potentially gabapentin. But again, we would hope that we would explain about the side effects and that it's for a short course mm. only. Because um, gabapentin uh, yeah. has got a similar side effect profile to amitriptyline. And it's yeah, actually used for... Say anti- really- oh, sorry. I was just going to say it's actually an anti-seizure medication, anti-epileptic medication traditionally. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people say that the side effects of, of gabapentin particularly can be really horrible and they can feel really, really poor, but it helped their pain a lot. So it's that very much kind of toss up between actually for three or four days I was zoned out on the sofa but I didn't have sciatica so I could function a bit better whereas actually once I was feeling a little bit better the side effects were worse so it's that trade-off and that's when talking to the GP who can then say these are the side effects from this this is what you can expect from this you know the ball's in your court to some degree in terms of how much you want to uh you know suffer with I guess is probably the wrong term but how much you want to put up with with side effects yeah, that's true. I often say that to people. It is exactly that, a balance of how much, yeah, how much can you tolerate the pain or find other ways to manage the pain? Because that's the other thing as well. Obviously, I'm not just talking about medication. There's lots of other things people can be doing to try and manage the pain um, versus the, the side effects. And, you know, again, if people have got a busy job or they've got young children, they don't, can't, being drowsy isn't an function. option. <laughs> yeah. Or being, not being able to get up in the middle of the night when your two-year-old is having a nightmare, you know. And I think this is what, and I don't know whether you see this as well, but I certainly see it in my, in my area of, of treating MSK patients is because I see people that might not have seen their GP. And I'll see a lot of people who'll say, I don't want to take any medication. Um, and they will say they'll come to see me because they don't want to take medication because they think I can magically, you know, rub something better or give them an exercise that's going to cure everything. And, you know, obviously I can't really do that. So I'll often say to people, I would rather you took some, even starting them over the counter, the painkiller, over the counter, painkillers talk to a pharmacist because it allows you to move more and then that is the benefit whereas people think that taking some sort of medication will mask their pain and that's the words I hear a lot I don't want to mask the pain and do more damage when we know that that is very rarely the case if they have a fracture or a dislocation which is going to be very rare then that's a different kettle of fish but for 99% of people that we see movement is going to be good for them yeah I think that's such an important message that is not well understood actually that we probably mm. need to be better at educating people about. And, um, yeah. Yeah, very yeah. good do you point. Have, do you have people that say that? Oh, 100%. Really? Uh, yeah, definitely, all the time. Uh, yeah, when I say, have you taken any medication? They go, no, I don't like taking medication. I don't, you know. Um, but and, I, and that's when I say, well, really, we need to, yeah, you need to, 
exactly that. I always say, we need you to get moving and you need to have enough pain relief on board so that you can get moving because that's the best thing that's going to help. And when you have these patients that have been carried in by their wife, husband, partner, brother, sister, whatever it might be, and they've, you know, they're lying on reception floor and you think you just need some, something just to allow you to walk or get up out of the chair. And even if it's just five minutes, that's the message we're always trying to hit home is go for a walk, go for a stretch, go for a, do whatever you can just to do five minutes around the coffee table. You don't have to go and run a marathon, but just little and often, and it can make the biggest difference to just getting you back to your normal function, really. Yeah, so I say be as active as you can, whatever that is for you. Um, I love that. Yeah. So are there any other medications that I that you regularly or less regularly might prescribe for kind of acute pain that I might have not not asked about? Only the more, the kind of, I guess the morphines, the kind of stronger opioids, um, which we use a lot less often. They are probably more often used in cancer cancer patients because of the side effect profile um Hmm. but but occasionally we do occasionally we do have to uh, or we have to use um patches uh which are opioid patches for people who are really struggling and and yeah sometimes people do have musculoskeletal problems that are Hmm. very very severe and unable to to get on top of it with anything else so it's just going up yeah that ladder um, and reaching the top. Um, But I think we've probably mentioned the most common ones otherwise um, that I can think of, yeah. One one thing I wanted to ask about was those patches, actually, I'm glad you brought that up, was is there a difference between kind of using the patch and taking it or, you know, that's for all topical medications, you know, is there, are are they effective? Are they good? Are they used for certain conditions or certain people? Oh, yeah. So I guess, uh, yeah, we haven't really talked too much about topical because I guess there's a complete, there's, yeah, Voltrol gel type thing. Um, and then there are patches and you can get local anesthetic patches. So a lidocaine patches, um, which I, I don't use very often. Um, or you can get um, opioid patches, uh, like uh, ones that have, that, that give a, allow a certain amount of morphine type uh, drugs into the system. Um, so like a Butec patch or something, and they come in different strengths. Um and they do really work. And so I guess that's completely different though. But, but the, the, the topical gels, um, often people do not expect them to work because it seems crazy. Like, for example, if you've got arthritis in your knee and you know the problem is inside the joint, that by putting something on the skin, it feels like a bit of a schwiz. How's that really going to get into the joint? But actually studies have shown they've done surgery and taken samples from, from inside the joint and shown that the diclofenac has got there, that, you know, or the ibuprofen gel. So it does get into the deep. It goes mm. through, they've got, they've cleverly made it. So it gets through the, the fat layers and the skin uh, and the muscle tissue and gets to the joint. So um, that for a lot of people is actually a better option than ibuprofen or uh, naproxen yeah. because of the side effect profile is much better. Um, because it doesn't have to go through your stomach and get absorbed everywhere. Um, there, it hasn't been it hasn't been studied properly in back pain, um, but I I suspect it, it would be certainly worth trying for a lot of people who are looking for mm. a safe option to try for their back pain. Yeah. Um, and then so then that's quite different to the to the patches, the opioid patches. Um, they so they release a steady stream. So if people are really struggling with pain, then we can give them a patch 
and still they can have a top up if needed um, of an opiate because some medications have a maximum dose. Most of them do, like paracetamol and ibuprofen. And if you went above that, they would it would be kind of an overdose and lots of risks. Mm. But for opioids, there there's a theoretical maximum dose, but um, we can kind of keep topping up as needed. Okay, so the if you're using an ibuprofen or you know a, a, a patch, a Voltarol patch type thing, if you're also taking another NSAID, it does increase the dosage. Oh yes, so it's not you like can't you do can both. take both at the same yeah. time. Yeah, and also the other thing a lot of people don't realise if they're taking um, a medication, for example, like a migraine medication that'll have paracetamol in, and then they're taking codamol, and then they're taking paracetamol. They didn't realise that paracetamol yeah. is in all of them, and paracetamol is quite easy to overdose and give yourself acute liver injury. Get yourself in A and E. So, um, really, not what you want. <laughs> no, oh, do you know a lot of the time the other thing patients say is they know they've taken far too many. Like they know they've done three times as much as you meant to of ibuprofen that day or paracetamol, and they say, "Well, my pain was bad." <laughs> and I say, "You'll be, you will be much worse pain when you're vomiting yeah, you with will. liver failure in A and E." The other one is Lemsip that's quite common. People don't realise that that's got paracetamol in. So you're taking a Lemsip and then taking two paracetamol every four hours and you've just, you know, doubled your dose over the 24-hour period than you, yeah. you meant to have had. I've heard of a few patients doing that. That's true. Um, yeah. Well, and although let's maybe just think about the fact that a lot of the, 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 the kind of compound medications that have got a few things in that end up costing more money than just your basic paracetamol or whatever often have caffeine in and... Um, I was reading that caffeine is helpful to increase kind of absorption and decrease pain. So if you're having, but instead of buying the very expensive stuff, you could just have um, ibuprofen a and a cup of coffee. Exactly. <laughs> and it might be more, it might be more effective. Or oh, is that like the, when you see kind of mig relief plus, you yeah. know, those type of things. And it's got the, you know, beats pain faster than any other medication, those type of things. Yeah. Oh, it just adds a bit of caffeine, a bit of sugar. Yeah. Uh, they, well, actually, the, the anti-inflammatory ones that say work fast, um, they come with um, some sort of extra acid in it, which does, does release it more quickly. However, um, if you have it with food, which is what you're meant to have, any anti-inflammatory like ibuprofen or naproxen, you should always have with food to protect your stomach then the, that doesn't speed it up at all. So you're wasting your money. So you might as well just get the... That's a good point as well, actually, because yeah. the branded stuff yeah. is like three times as expensive. And mm. uh, really, it's if the same more. medication. So just buy the 16p paracetamol. Yeah. So can it be specific then? Because that's the other thing you see on the advert of, you know, you can buy headache ibuprofen and you can buy joint pain ibuprofen and those type of things can can is there any specificity in these medications or I know, is it and then just it shows you a graphic nonsense. of the of the little red thing going <laughs> yeah. down to the knee or going yeah. up to the head um no i believe not uh as far as studies are shown and my understanding of physiology uh no not a chance uh yeah. Maybe I'll be proved wrong, but I would be extremely yeah. surprised. So I think it just it just works on nerve fibers, pain fibers, wherever they are. Um, so yeah, again, don't waste your money. Go try it if you want. Not, see if it works. Yeah. But. <laughs> Why not? People will swear by it. Maybe it's the boost of caffeine that they uh, that, that they yeah. actually need. Well, placebo. I mean, we know how effective placebo is. Um, yeah. You know, studies show that if you you know, you make the tablet red, people think that it works better for their pain. Or if they have to take two placebo tablets, then yeah. their pain is relieved more. So there's all sorts of reasons why. And clever marketeers know this and they work around yes. it. Yeah. And unfortunately, <laughs> the sad thing is people in, in 
in a lot of pain will spend a lot of money to get out of pain. So they are a very easy target, you know, unfortunately for, for poor, poor people in pain. So it's very easy to advertise to people to say you can get out of pain with this 16 pound tablet because you will buy it at the end of the day. And, you know, for anyone listening who's in a very bad way, you would spend any money, and I would, I've been in that situation, to spend any money to get out of pain, of course you would. So it's a bit sad that, you know, marketeers can kind of do this to some degree when there's very little evidence that it actually makes any difference. Yeah, I think sometimes capsules are faster than tablets, so that might be true, um, just because they're broken down more quickly in the stomach. I thought here's a tip as well, which I've only just just learned as well for tablets versus capsules. Now, this is a slight tangent, but this is very good for people that struggle to take tablets. And I'm sure you probably know this. But if you are um, tablets, you know, the the capsules are obviously float in water. So for people that struggle to take tablets, they often look up to swallow a capsule and it floats to the top of the mouth so they can't swallow it. Whereas if you look down when you're swallowing a capsule as opposed to a tablet, it's much easier to swallow. And I said this to a patient a few weeks ago and it it was a game changer for her daily medication that she was taking every day. So free, free tip from me for today. Yeah, I only learned that quite recently. I was like, wow, it makes sense. And it, yeah, it makes a bit of difference. <laughs> right, Sophie, I think we've covered you know, a, a wide variety of these medications. As I said, just that caveat that we said earlier, that if you have any doubts or want to take any medications, please seek professional advice from a pharmacist or from a medical professional before going down that route. Now, the other thing I'd love to mention is your YouTube channel. Um, you know, so if you have a brilliant YouTube channel, which is you know, covers a whole range of everything that you'd see a GP about effectively. So can you please give it a plug so people can go and find out more about it and yourself? Yeah, well, as we were saying, we only have 10 minutes, so it's not very long and there's so much to talk about. So I decided to start making essentially patient information videos of things that I do see every day and that I say to patients every day. Um, So covering, as you said, all different sorts of topics, explaining management, medications, prevention, try to make it all easy to understand. So um, yeah, I I kind of hope that as I'm building the collection, that before people even think about calling their GP, they might be like, oh, I wonder if Dr. Sophie's done a video on that and it might answer your questions and you might not need that GP appointment anyway. Um, so yeah, I'm proud of it. <laughs> Fantastic. And and for anyone listening who's got a family member who might be wanting to learn more about a particular condition, there's a brilliant, as I said, video probably on it done by your good self. So thank you very much for doing that. And we will put links to the show notes as well for anyone listening who uh, wants to go and check it out. Dr. Sophie, thank you so much for taking the time to join us this evening. I appreciate you're incredibly busy making these brilliant YouTube videos and working very hard, uh, you know, in the uh, in the in the health system that we are all know is struggling, should I say, at the moment. So thank you very much for that, and thank you for your time. You're most welcome. Wonderful. So as I said, all links to everything we've mentioned are in the show notes. Sophie, you're, as well as YouTube, are you on anything else? Are you on? Are you on Twitter? Are you yes, on Instagram? I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, yeah, my handle is always at Dr. Sophie GP. So Dr. Sophie GP. Fab, as we'll link to those. Thanks everyone for listening and we hope to catch you very soon on the next episode of the Back Pain and Injury Podcast. Over and out. Thank you so much everyone for listening to that episode. If you have any questions, feel free to email us on hello at the Back Pain Podcast. All of Sophie's links for her Instagram, her Twitter and her YouTube will be in the show notes below. If you have anything else you'd like to do an episode on, then reach out to us on any of our social media handles at The Back Pain Pod, where we will do our best to feature an episode on it. And if you are struggling with pain and you are looking for someone to help, then please head on over to our website, thebackpainpodcast.com, where you can simply pop in your postcode and you can find someone local to you who's tried and tested to know that you will get the best evidence-based care for your pain or injury. So that's it from me. Hope you enjoyed this episode and we will catch you on the next one.